Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today, Palm City family. I want to give a big hello and a welcome to our online community, those joining us maybe right here in this city or somewhere across the state or maybe even the world. Who knows? Come on, Palm City. Say hello to everybody joining us. We're glad you're here. Yeah. We think it's better to be in the room, but the couch isn't bad either. And um, we would encourage you to share this with a friend who you know right now is going through a tough situation, maybe needs some hope, or maybe looking for a church family. We will play whatever part we can to encourage them. But we are glad that you're joining us today. I could not be more thankful to be in God's house today. There's no place I'd rather be. Leaned into God's presence, ready to grow from his word today. And somebody said amen for that. Last week, we started a brand new series that we're calling Parables. More about that in just a moment. But it's very intentional this time of the year as we are now four weeks away from Easter. Come on, best day of the year, best day of the year. As a matter of fact, you guys want to see our graphic? Is the graphic behind me? There's the graphic. No, there's not the graphic. Awesome. Okay. There's the graphic. Let me give you a full picture of that bad boy. We are so glad that stone was rolled away. Somebody said amen right there, but it's going to be a great, great celebration. And here's our thesis for this Easter, that Easter isn't something we celebrate only. It's something we experience. So right now, we're not here just to celebrate Jesus got out of the grave. The Bible says because he did, you can get out of yours. Maybe your marriage is not where it, it used to be and needs a little life. Come on, get out of that grave. Maybe your spirituality was once red hot, white hot, on fire for God, but somewhere along the lines life happened and you lost your way. Now's a great time to get it back together and get going in the life God called you to. The the resurrection is best when we experience it personally. So we created a series over four weeks that's going to lead us right up until Easter Sunday to where we look at the life of Jesus. One of the values of our church is Jesus Our message, like he's the main focal point. He's our Lord, our love, and our life. We make him the main point, the main attraction in everything we do because we believe it's really unapologetically all about him. And so what better way than to look at the words of Jesus in the Gospels, your Bible, if you don't have one, we have one for you outside, it's free. You have uh, a bunch of books, but there are four Gospels. A gospel is simply an account of someone's life. And so you had four guys that gave an account of Jesus' life from their vantage point. Okay, it's the same story, but through the lens of four different people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So each week in this parable series, we're looking at one of these stories Jesus told out of one of those gospels. And we're just diving into it so that we can learn what he has to say to us. Now, interesting fact to know what a parable is. A parable is actually two Greek words, para and bol, combined together, which one means truth and the other means to throw alongside. So a parable basically was Jesus throwing a story alongside of a truth so that we could have the cookies on the bottom shelf, everybody. How many, how many want a cookie? I love a cookie. But don't put them where I can't get them. And so Jesus has our back. A lot of times he would say things. Nobody understood it. And they would walk away be like, I like him, but I'm not sure what he's talking about. And so he would always tie it together with a story. In other words, he, it would be like this. If I, if I shared a truth with you and you, you were like, what, what, what does that mean? I would say, well, let me say it this way. And I would try to my best to rephrase it so I can convey it in a way, not that just sounds good, but that you could actually learn. So last week, 
in week one, we talked through uh, forgiveness. We looked at Matthew 18. Oh, I still feel the aftershock of that one. That was a gritty one. Woo, praise God. Go back and watch that uh, if you didn't. It was good, but it's hard because we like to receive forgiveness and we don't like to give it so much. And so we looked at the parable of the unmerciful servant and we, we taught a message called faith to forgive. How many know you need faith to forgive? Sometimes it's like, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. I got to make the choice. God gave it to me, so I got to give it to others. We talked about the faith to forgive. And here was the theme of the day, the forgiven forgive. And if we've been forgiven, then our next step is to give what we have received. So that was week one. Today, we're going to talk about the courage to persist, the courage to persist. And we're going to look at the parable in Luke 18, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there on your iPad, your iPhone, or in a paperback Bible. We're going to look at this um, today, and I want to read verses 1 through 8 to you, and then we'll talk about it a little, okay? So read along with me on the screen or uh, on a device or a Bible if you have one. Verse 1 says this, One day Jesus told his disciples a story, a parable. And here's what the parable said, They should always pray and never give up. Come on, say that. Always pray and never give up. Okay, that was not good. Nobody even gets a participation award on that. One more time. Always pray and never give up. A plus. Great job. And so Jesus right there, there's the truth of the parable. He lays out the truth. Always pray and never give up. And then he adds the story to help articulate it. And here we go in verse 2. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. Emphasis added. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson. And that's what we're going to try to do today. Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now, there's so many great uh, ways that you could talk about this and preach this. I want to come at it from a standpoint today that you may not be expecting, and that is a standpoint of contrast. I believe this is a parable that emphasizes contrast. Now, I wrote down a definition of contrast because I didn't, I didn't fully know it. So I was like, how do, how do, how do I articulate that? Here's what uh, Webster says. A contrast is described as opposites placed side by side with, a, with an order of creating emphasis. And so check out this picture on the screen. Really quick, I wanted to articulate it. Yeah, there you go. Okay, now... It may be hard to believe, but this circle is actually the same color from left to right. But because the backdrop changes, it gets darker over here and it's lighter over there. It creates emphasis. It makes it look differently. And so this is, this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's, he's painting a picture, but he's using the opposite of what's true to articulate a truth to us in this parable. It's a parable of contrast. Now, 
Jesus is doing this, and I want to talk about the three contrasts I see in these eight verses and what I believe we can learn from it today. Are you with me? Yeah. All right, the first is the contrast of the judge. Here's what we see about the judge. He was unfair, he was ungodly, and he didn't care about people. The Bible says in verse 2, There was a judge in a certain city, Jesus said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. So there it is. He was ungodly and he didn't care about people. He was kind of selfish. And if you look at verse 4, he even ignored the widow. Who ignores a widow? You can laugh right there. That was supposed to be funny. Um, like who, who, who has a heart so hard that they would ignore the repeated request of a widow, someone who's defenseless and hopeless in their situation? So he was distant, he was uncaring, and he was more consumed with himself. Now, this is what Jesus is using here is he's using the judge as a picture of God. Not as God is, but as most people think God is. He's, he's painting a picture of this harsh, distant, uh, unwilling checked out, not interested, out of office email is on type of God in this story. And here's what he said in verse 6 and 7. He said, here, I want you to learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he, in all his hardness of heart, still rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God, who is very just and very loving and very willing and very attentive to your needs. Don't you think he will surely give you justice to his people when they cry out day and night? Jesus is saying, if this ungodly, checked out judge of this day would not care for this widow, then will not God, who isn't like that at all, take care of your every need the moment you call on his name? That's what Jesus is trying to place emphasis on in this story. And so my question is, Jesus posed to them a question. I believe this is one of the questions of our lives. I believe you can look right here and really find out where you stand spiritually, because the question is, how do you view God? Do you see him as distant and far off? Because here's the truth. How you see something determines how you relate to it. So I won't relate to God in a personal, intimate, passionate pursuing, open way if I don't believe God is open to me being that way to him. How I see something determines how I relate to it. So do you see God as a harsh judge? Almost always taking a tally on your good and bad. Like he looked at your seven days. You almost didn't come to church today because you had more losses than you did wins because you see God the wrong way. Is he a harsh judge to you? Is he, is he a fairy tale? Are you basically putting God in the category of the Easter bunny and saying it's cute, it's a good idea, makes a good Sunday post, but God's not really real? Do you, do you see him as an ambulance? Come on, where's my students at? You know, uh, the night before the test, you're like, oh, dear father, uh, I have not studied at all, but I pray that thou blessing would be upon me for recall in all the things I first did not call to my mind. Right? We, we go to God in that emergency type situation. Like when things are good, I'm like, hey, I'm going to do me. <laughs> but when things are bad, it's like, God, help me. I'm drowning. Sometimes we treat God that way, that ambulance type of relationship. How about this one? The creepy neighbor. He's just like, he's just, he's just stalking you, kind of watching you kind of awkwardly. Not to be close to you, but just to be like judging you and throw a lightning bolt at you every time you mess up. He's just kind of a creepy neighbor. What about a Jenny? Like a Jenny in a bottle. 
Not like Jen, eh? <laughs> Somebody was like, Forrest Gump's Jenny? What was wrong with her? No, 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 no. She's great. Love Forrest Gump. I'm talking about a Jenny like, like um, you remember the movie Aladdin? Oh, you've never had a friend like me. You know, do you see God is just like, I'm going to get some, like a celestial Santa Claus. I'm just going to rub three times and get my magic wishes and, and then I'll be on about my business. Or check this one out. Not very funny. Distant. He's just kind of not engaged. Almost so like, hey, I believe in him. I believe he set the world in motion. I believe he created the universe, hung the planets, hung the stars. And then he kind of peaced out. He, he, he's God and I'm, I'm not. That's clear. So he's just not interested. Because how you see God determines your relationship with God. It, it, it's a fact of Scripture. And this is the question of our lives. Now the, now, the good thing is, just like Jesus did, God is none of those things I described. You want to hear what God is? You want to hear some truth about who God is to you? God is close. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is close to all who call on Him. Yes, to all who call on Him in truth. The second one is God is love. 1 John 4, 16 says, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has shown to us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. God is good. Check it out. God is good, a hiding place in tough times. He recognizes and welcomes anyone looking for help, no matter how desperate the trouble. God is our Father. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. And the last one I wrote down in the list would go on and on. You don't have enough time to hear all the things God is. His character's perfect. His love is pure. And his heart is to have relationship with you. But God is inviting. God is not distant. God has not chosen a select few. But he said all who will call on my name are welcome to be at, at my table. And not only do you have a seat at the table, I'm going to prepare that table in the presence of your enemies. I'm going to nourish you and feed you and heal you and give you everything you need to live a productive Christian life. And that's why I theme verse of Palm City is the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. God doesn't promise a pain-free life. God doesn't promise a life that doesn't have problems. God promises a productive life. He wants you to flourish, and he will let you flourish because he will nourish you. Your relationship with God is determined on how you see God. He is not an unjust judge. He is a loving father. And the Palm City family said a big amen right there. Number two. The contrast of persistent prayer. I love this one. Prayer gets, prayer gets a bad rap sometimes. And I love the scripture says in Luke 18, that a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in the dispute with my enemy. Now in verse 5, it says, this woman is driving me crazy. In verse 5, it also says, she is wearing me out with her constant prayer request. Now men, do not say amen right there. That is not the time for you to say amen. Some of you are just like, I just found my life verse right there. Praise God. Y'all told me a life verse was important. No, 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 no. Basically, here we see Jesus is painting a picture of what persistence looks like. And some of us just need to get our grid up a little bit. Some of us quit too easy and we quit too often. Persistence, by definition, is the firm continuance in a course of action, no matter the opposition and no matter the difficulty. I looked up, um, not super creative or profound, but I thought it was interesting, but I looked up the word persistence, and I hit the thesaurus button. Who loves a good thesaurus? God, give me another way. See, give me a fresh word. Here's some words that go with persistence. Endurance, grit, stamina, 
tenacity, constancy, determination, and follow through. It's a keep on spirit, a can't stop, won't stop type of spirit. Are there any people in the room that just says, you know what, maybe this is where I need to land today. I see God the right way, but I just need a little bit more fortitude. I just need a little bit of strength. I just need a little bit of fire in the belly to keep on going even when it gets tough. Is anybody here today that says, hey, sign me up. I'm a picture of persistence. I am not where I want to be, but with God's power and a persistent spirit, I'm going to get there in Jesus' name. Can somebody say amen? God wants us to grow in our persistency. And you know who's really persistent? Kids. Come on, parents. Where's my parents at? Shout out. Shout out right here, parents. They're like, praise God, they are. Here's what kids, um, kids make you hate the word why. It's a great word. I mean, it's so important to know your why in life. I would say it like this. If you don't know your why, you will lose your way. But when you know your why, you know your way. But here's why I hate the word why, because I hear it so much. We've got three kids. Kids are persistent. They'll say, why do I have to brush my teeth? Why do I have to go to bed at a certain time? Why can't I play Nintendo Switch for 38 hours a day? Why do I have to go to school? Why do I have to wear these clothes? Why do I have to wear clothes at all? Why do I have to eat spinach? Why do I have to literally eat any vegetable? Why do I have to share my toys? Why do I have to be nice to my friends? Why can't I bite them? Why can't I punch them? Why can't I kick them? To which I'm like, I don't know. They probably deserve it. (laughs) Check this one out. This was actually kind of valid. Why can't I eat Chick-fil-A for every meal? That's a good one. I don't know. Maybe you should. Why do I have to clean my room? Why do I have to clean my bathroom? Why do I have to pick up my toys? Why can't I touch this? Why can't I touch that? Why do I have to stand in line? Why do I have to wash my hands? Why do I have to take a bath? Why can't I have dessert before dinner? I hate the word why. It just gets used so much with your kids. But listen, you don't want to crush their spirit because that will allow them to change the world. That why spirit, that persistence to lean in. I'm going to wear you down just like that widow. I'm going to get my yes. You're going to be broken in your will. You're going to give in to me. But I am so determined to get candy before dinner. I am going to ask you so many times that if I was a betting man, I bet you're going to fold and give me that candy. Because I'm persistent and I'm a kid. Shout out to our Palm City Kids team. But I think we can look at our children and look at kids if you don't have children. And it is a picture of our faith. That's why the Bible says, hey, look at these little kids. Look how they're doing it. They, they don't have all these reservations. They haven't adulted so long in their life to where they're brash and distant and just maybe been beat up or rejected so many times in their prayer life to where they feel like, what's the point? God's not going to. No, they just have that spirit that says, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to get what I, I'm going to get mine because God's on my side. But listen, here's what's interesting. I think we often feel that we've got to be the same way with God. We we want to be persistent, but it's not because God's doing something in us. We feel that God's reluctant. We, We feel that we have to be persistent enough to overcome God's reluctance. Like he really doesn't want to, but maybe I will annoy him so much like the widow did the unjust judge, and he'll just... He'll just do it because he's tired. I know he's already tired of me, but he's probably also tired of hearing from me. And if I just keep asking long enough, maybe he'll answer. Do you ever feel that God is reluctant in your prayers? I think it's important to understand and discern in those moments when you're not getting answers what could be happening. Because I can tell you this truth, delays are not denials. Sometimes God is allowing fortitude and grit to be in you. 
so that if he just gave you the answer, it would have been nice, but it wouldn't have been as good as if he worked some things in you, some strength, some fortitude, some grit, some tenacity, some determination, some follow-through, some can't stop, won't stop, I'm going to go for it no matter what. Sometimes God allows us to have a little bit of delay so that we can grow stronger in the long, long term. Sometimes we don't even know what we need. And God's like, it would not be grace if I answered the prayer you're praying. Come on, who loves Garth Brooks? Some of God's greatest gifts. You know, I can't sing. Our unanswered prayers, right? Like if you could see the vantage point that God sees over your life, because we can't see past the end of our nose. But if we could see what God sees, some of God's answers or delays to the answers of the prayers we're praying are not reluctance. They're grace. Like, it would not go well if you got what you think you need. Instead, I'm going to give you what I know you need. And sometimes it's not delay or a redirection. Again, it's just God building something in us. Uh, there's a Bible commentator named David Guzik. I love, I love his stuff. He said, persistence in prayer brings a transforming element to our lives, building us into the character of God himself. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm praying with hopes of changing God. And prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. Right? We have, remember, we talked about that. He's the same. God's not changing. Now, you can move his heart, but he is, he, is, he is who he is, and that's not changing. But what prayer will do, especially when you have to be in a season of persistent prayer because you're not getting that immediate answer, is prayer will change you. God doesn't need to change. We do. But what happens is when we have to lean into persistent prayer, we, we kind of can get messed up and think, if I'm not saying it the right way, uh, God's not going to answer. If I don't know, oh, what's the King James again? Thee thouest, Father, in the greatness of heaven. You know, we, we feel like we have to approach God in a certain way, and that's persistent. Or maybe if I say it loud enough, it seems that everybody talks really loud when they pray, and they get more answers. But it's not with persuasive words. And it's not with intelligent words. It's a, it's a conversation yeah. from your heart to his. And a conversation is two-sided. So prayer is not even you doing all the talking. It, it's honoring who God is. It, it, it's submitting some of the things you're worried about. And asking him to change the situation or change me. And God will. Sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes the storm doesn't calm, but he calms you. But we've got to be persistent in our prayer. And this is what Jesus was teaching. The point of prayer is not to make your case before God. The point of prayer is not to try and attempt to convince God. The point of prayer is relationship. And that's God's heart. He wants relationship with us. He wants to know us. He loves your voice. You don't have to have pastor in front of your name for God to love to hear from you. He loves your voice. And you don't have to wait till Sundays to pray or be in the right setting. Sometimes the sweetest, most intimate prayers are when you are at your lowest. You have no words to say. You just blew it and blew it royally. God's like, come on, let me, I got you. Because God is close. He's close to the brokenhearted. The third one I see here is the contrast of the widow. I love this one. Verse 3 tells us that the main characters in this text are the judge... And the widow. And we get a little bit of information about the judge, but we don't get much about the widow outside of her persistent spirit. But what we do know about widows, especially in that time, is they were a symbol of, of 
somebody who was in poverty and someone who was defenseless. And judges in that culture had a reputation of being unfair and very political. That only when you had influence would a judge give you favor in your situation. And, and she came to this unjust judge wanting justice. She came alone. She came without influence or money. And she came without the proper representation. The widow in this story is a picture of us. That's, that's our case before God. That we are honestly poor and defenseless in any way. And we need an advocate, a savior, someone to represent us, someone to pursue and intercede on our behalf. Can I tell you, you have that in Jesus Christ? The Bible says that he is the great advocate. First John, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. So grace isn't just do what you want and I'll forgive you. No, the Bible says I, you don't sin, but if you do, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. Not only is Jesus our advocate, but you would need to know today that he took your place. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5 that for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God. God is a just God. He's a loving God. Yes, he wants us to be persistent in prayer, but not to overcome his reluctance, but that we would establish relationship with him and that we would come to him not just once and get our answer and go on, but we would come to him repeatedly because he loves to hear our voice. And that even when we're poor, defenseless, broken, hurting, messed up, again and again, his grace is sufficient for us. The Bible says his power is made perfect in our weakness. So we can come to him in those moments no matter what. Now you may be here today and think, man, that, well, that's, that, sound, that sounds kind of good. I, I hope it does. But you also may be here and go, but it's not for me. Like, I, I'm still in a struggle. Like, I've come, I've, I've maybe even raised my hand in this church. I may have filled out the connection card. I may have started some spiritual disciplines to try and get it going a little bit, but I just can't change. I, I just can't stop doing the things that I can't stop doing. Did you know there was another guy in scripture like that? He kind of was a big deal. <laughs> Not in his life. But, but now we see the apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And in Romans 7, this is what he says. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there is something else deep within me in my lower nature that is at war with my mind and wins the fight, makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In my mind, I want to 
be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. So you see how it is. It is my new life tells me to do right, but the old nature that is still inside me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? And this is the best part of the verse. Thank God. It has been done by Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has set me free. I want to tell you today that God is a loving God for us to be persistent in prayer and for us to know that no matter how bad we may feel and may be in any given moment, that we can come to the loving God. We can find the mercy. We can find the help right there where you are online. Maybe you've struggled. Maybe, maybe you hear the words that say, always pray and never give up, but you want to give up. Can I tell you today, you can get back up again, that God doesn't condemn you for it. He wants to deliver you from it. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of your God. No matter where you are and what you've done, you can always pray and never give up because God loves to hear, you, hear your voice and loves to hear your prayer. And I was preparing for this week. I had a moment where I felt like there was somebody, I don't know, in the room, online, watching later this week, I'm not sure, who wants to give up in a permanent way. Don't give up. If you're not dead, God's not done. Get back up again. Get around a church family. Don't make a permanent decision on a set of temporary challenges. That God sees you right where you are. And His plan, it's still intact. You haven't gone too far to be forgiven, to be loved, to be set free, and to be put on a path of purpose. Always pray and don't give up. Would you bow your heads in prayer? If that's you today, maybe you want to give up. Maybe you want to throw in the towel. You want to give up on your marriage. Maybe you want to give up on your kids. Maybe you feel like your kids want to give up on you. Today you need that persistence, that spirit of the living God to come in you and to wake you up again, to give you a new nature with new life and new energy like you've never experienced before. You thought, if I can make enough money, I'll be happy. You thought, if I can do enough good, that'll be enough. There is not enough you can do to get close to God. God wants a relationship with you. He wants your heart. He wants to know you by name and to have a vibrant, passionate, daily, conversation with you in prayer in the word and in community with other believers if that's you today and you don't have that type of relationship maybe you love God, you love church but you've never really went all in you've never really went 100% you've went 95 but you've kept a nice reserve for yourself out of fear, anxiety, insecurity doubt or a litany of other reasons. Today, I believe God's asking you to go all in. I believe not only is He asking you, I believe He's inviting you. 
He's saying, I've got more for you than you're currently experiencing. If that's you today and you want to make that decision, right there where you are online, you can pray this prayer. There is no proximity in the Spirit. God can touch you wherever you are. But if you're in this room today, you want to give your life to God, you can do that. And if you've been here and you've wanted to take your life, I'm going to encourage you, don't take it. Give it. Give it to the one who created it. And watch him give it back to you in a way you never believed possible. On the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand if you want to make that commitment to God. Maybe it's the first time. And honestly, maybe it's the 50th time. But today you know something's different. God is moving on your heart. He's knocking on the door, but you have to open it. On the count of three, I want you to be bold and raise your hand. One, come on, be bold and confident. Two, today is the day of salvation. Three, I want you to raise your hand in this room. Awesome, I see your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Yeah, I see you. You can slip your hands right back down. And even if you didn't raise your hand in this moment, that's okay. It's a faith step, but God can still save you. Would you pray this prayer, Jesus? are a great God and I thank you that you are the same yesterday today and forever today I ask you to forgive me of my sins to come into my heart to change my nature from a life of sin to a life of devotion I want to follow you I want to live for you I want to serve you. I make a commitment. Today I commit my life to you fully and completely in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for every person here today. As we study Luke 18, God, we see a story of contrast that we would be reminded as a church family and those watching online that you are just, you are willing, that we don't have to overcome your reluctance, that you love us and you want to answer us in the ways that we need answering. You're a God who answers prayer. And we thank you, Lord, that sometimes that we can let persistence grow in us. So for those who have felt like they wanted to give up today in Jesus' name, I pray there's a new win. There's a fresh spirit of persistence to keep going, to fight another battle. I hear the scripture that says the righteous fall seven times and they get back up. Today we're getting back up, God. And we thank you, Lord, not only when we're on the mountaintops, but when we're in the valleys, that you are with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. And you will be with us even to the end. Today, God, we celebrate your greatness. And we worship you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, come on, let's celebrate change lives together.